0: Brethren, I'd like you to think about a few things, several things, actually, as we begin this sermon on the last day of Unleavened Bread. Mr. Armstrong used to ask the question from year to year at the feast, but I'd like to ask it here in this last day of Unleavened Bread. Why are you here today? Why are you here today? You could be many other places, but why are you here the question was asked in the sermon at, what have we learned this week? What have you learned about yourself? And what changes do you plan to make in the coming days and months? What changes do you plan to make? And we should have some plans. Why do you want to make those changes? Why do you want to make changes in your life? And what do you expect to gain by making those changes? I'd like to think about those questions as we begin. I'd like to begin a little bit differently today. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. Where Isaiah is addressing some challenges to critics. And we have plenty of critics today in the world. And oftentimes we have doubts in our own mind. But Isaiah is addressing the Israelites in verse 3 of chapter 46. He says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob. And God is speaking through Isaiah. Down in verse 5, he says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal? And compare me that we should be alike. And down in verse 8, this is remember this and show yourselves men. In other words, stand up and be real. You face reality. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, and remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end, the future, the outcome, from the very beginning. In other words, I'm the only one that can do that. From ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel, my plan, my purpose will stand. The only God has the power to do that. And I will do all my pleasure. Down in verse 11, the latter part of that, it says, Indeed, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed or proposed it, and I will also do it. God has a plan and a purpose that he's working out on this earth. That plan and purpose is pictured in the biblical holy days. We find described in Leviticus 23. And we're commanded to observe those days. Commanded to observe. So that we don't forget that plan. So we don't forget that purpose. If you look back over the last 15 or 20 years, people that have left the church and started keeping Christmas and Easter... They literally lose sight of the plan of God. Yes, it was God's plan that Jesus be born. And it was God's plan that he be resurrected. But there's a lot more to the plan than that. The plan of salvation. Sometimes if we're younger or we're not real spiritually oriented, well, plan of salvation, why do I need salvation? The word salvation means to be saved from destruction to be saved from destruction. Here, we're going to watch this world go down the tubes. We're going to watch this nation come apart, very possibly over the next 5, 10, 15 years or so. The question is, how much longer will God let things go on before he pulls the plug on a nation that has been blessed incredibly, a nation that was called to be a servant of God, And to be a light and an example to the world. Yet we're going off in all kinds of different directions today. You're advocating and legalizing same-sex marriages and all kinds of other things. How long is God going to let that go before he pulls the plug on this nation? But God has a plan and he has a purpose. Now we can ignore that plan. We can ignore that plan and pretend like it doesn't exist. And then we can face the consequences of panicking whenever we see things beginning to come apart in a big way. Or we can follow that plan. And we can be ready for what comes. We can be prepared. I'd like you to turn to another scripture. And sometimes we read over But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was asked, why do you speak in parables? And notice his answer. Because this applies to you and it applies to me, those of us sitting here and listening. Jesus was asked in verse 10, why do you speak in parables? And he answered to them and said, because it has been given to you, my disciples, To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You have the plan in front of you. You know what's going to happen. You're in a very special category. But to them, that is the world, those that are not called, it has not been given. They don't understand what you and I have been called to understand. And hopefully we'll never take that for granted. Whoever has, more will be given. Whoever uh, has, and he will have more in abundance. Let's see. Down in verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says hearing they will hear and they will not understand. Down in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes. The word blessed can be translated to be envied. To be envied are your eyes because you see things that the kids that you go to school with don't see. The people that you work with don't see. Yet for some reason God has called you, he's called me, to understand the plan of God. And again, hopefully we'll never take this for granted. Hopefully we'll appreciate that calling. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men and righteous women desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Daniel was given incredible prophecies. And he was told, seal it up, Daniel. It's not for you to understand all the details. That'll come later. We've been called at the end of an age where God is opening the minds of a few people to understand his plan and purpose. You know, when you read through, start button in Matthew 21, read through to the end of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus understood the plan. He understood the plan and he kept telling his disciples, this is going to happen. This was predicted. This is where it's going to go. He was trying to prepare them you and I are having an opportunity to understand the plan of God and have a foreknowledge of what is coming. And hopefully we can value that. And it's not only adults. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14, says, If you have believing parents, then you are in a special category. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart. Because you're having an opportunity to understand the plan of God now. And it's going to be up to you to decide what to do with that information. The plan of God is incredible. But the world doesn't understand that plan of God, as the Bible makes very plain and clear. The night of the Passover, we read John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17. In John 14, the first several verses there, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place before you, and I'm going to come back. Just like General Douglas MacArthur said when he left the Philippines, he kind of snuck out, got through the Japanese lines. But he said, I will return. I'm going to come back. And that gave hope to a lot of people there in the Philippines. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going away but I'm coming back, and you're going to be there with me. And he gave that that evening before he was crucified as a sign of hope, something to latch on to. In Matthew 24, this brings it down to our time today. <clears throat> Matthew 24. You're familiar with the material in that chapter. It talks about things to watch for. As we approach the end of the age, but in verse 42, it says, watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. You don't know the exact time. We don't know the exact time, but it is getting closer. As we see things happening in the world, we begin to realize that. But know this, that if the master of the house, another little parable, had known the hour the thief would come. If you've got a phone call tonight and says, I'm going to rob your house tonight at two o'clock. I doubt if you'd be going to bed tonight. But Jesus said, if people knew the hour that I would come, they would be ready and watching. But in verse 44, it says, you also be ready, be alert, keep your eyes open, be on guard. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. The world is not going to be expecting. Now, many Christians today are looking for the return of Christ. But many Christians are really not into prophecy that much. They're not understanding the plan of God. They think they're going to go off to heaven and sit there on a cloud and play harps and do whatever they're going to do up there. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to be very different. In Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, they all slumbered. Is anybody sleeping yet? (laughs) Hopefully not. But it says they all slumbered. All of those ten virgins. Five were wise. Five were foolish. But even the wise, it says, slumbered. Down in verse 10 it says, And while they went out to buy, the foolish ones went out to buy oil that they didn't have, in other words, they weren't watching, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Those people who was looking for his return... They weren't ready when he returned. They were out doing other things, and they missed out on the opportunity to be in the kingdom of God. The two other scriptures I want you to just think about, John, in your notes. In Revelation 19, verse 7, it talks about a marriage supper in heaven. I was listening to a country music station the other day, and they were singing about the, the wedding in the sky, this great wedding in the sky, I want to be there. An interesting little song. But there is going to be a marriage of the Lamb when Jesus Christ marries the church. And it says, The bride made herself ready. The bride made herself ready for that wedding. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, one of the jobs of the church is to make ready a people prepared for God prepared for the Lord prepared for the return of Jesus Christ brethren we have just gone through and are basically completing today the days of unleavened bread in which we're to examine ourselves to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ to develop the character in the comment that was made this morning by Mr. Wakefield in the sermonette how the Body will change, but the character will not. The character we're building now will take with us. The body that's wearing out, (laughs) we can leave behind. It's kind of like the snake that crawls out of its skin and leaves the old skin there. The body will remain behind, but the character we're building now, this is why it's so important to go through the Days of Unleavened Bread, To examine ourselves The question that I want to leave with you And focus on as we go through the sermon Are you ready? Have you used the days of unleavened bread And can you use the days Beyond the days of unleavened bread To make changes and grow So that you will be a different person By the feast A different person Next year when we go through the days of unleavened bread again What can you do To prepare I want to give you seven keys this afternoon, seven things that we can work on to get ready for the coming of Jesus Christ so that we can be ready when he comes, as we've been admonished to in a number of these scriptures. One of the lessons of the Days of Unleavened Bread is to recognize and put sin out of our lives. But as we read in the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, then we've got to... (laughs) Partake of the unleavened bread. We've got to put something else back in. We can't leave a vacuum there. You get rid of the unleavened bread, then we've got to... You get rid of the leavening, then we've got to put unleavened things back into our lives. Developing the character and the mind of Jesus Christ. Let's look at seven things this afternoon. Things that we can begin doing now to prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. And these are simple but they're profound. Because if we don't do these things, we're going to miss out an awful lot. Point number one is to focus on the big picture. Focus on the plan of God and stay focused on that. You know, Satan tries to get our minds off on all kinds of other things. We get focused on our job. We get focused on our families. We get focused on this or that or the other thing. We've got to stay focused on the big picture. I still go back to an email we got here in Charlotte uh, some time ago. This lady was writing in. She says, oh, I am so sick and tired of hearing Dr. Mayer talk about this big picture all the time. Well, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And we lose sight of that big picture. We get focused on this, that, or the other thing. We're going to miss out on what is coming. You know, what did Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew 6:33? memory scripture? Seek you first a good boyfriend. (laughs) Seek you first a pretty girlfriend. Seek you first the latest model new car that you want. He didn't say that at all. He said, seek first what? The kingdom of God. To be in the coming kingdom of God. What would you like to do in the coming kingdom of God? What would you like to be involved with? What would you like to change? How would you like to serve? Have you ever prayed about those things? Talk to God about those things? Turn back quickly to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is the big picture. We're going to be going through uh, an election year this year. It's going to be interesting to see all the claims and all the charges and all the other things that go on. You know, the world is going to look like you guys are crazy over there. You tell everybody how bad the candidates are, and then you have to live with one. Elect one for four years. I mean, this is the system that we're under. You know, We lived in Boston, Massachusetts, or near Boston, Massachusetts, for about ten years up there. And almost invariably, as soon as somebody went out of office one day, they were in court the next day. <laughs> Because they'd made this arrangement or that special arrangement. They're getting kickbacks on this and kickbacks on that. And it was was a circus. But that was just one state out of uh, many others. But what is going to happen when Jesus Christ returns? Verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Jesus Christ is going to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and set up a world-ruling government in Jerusalem. And that we have been called to be part of that. We're going to have to have the character and the perspective and the mind of Jesus Christ that is giving, that is humble, that is gracious, that is knowledgeable, that is righteous. And we've been called to develop that character now For the government will be upon his shoulder And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God Everlasting Father The Prince of Peace He's going to bring peace to this earth Now we're meeting here in Charlotte In a very peaceful area today But you know if we were in Africa someplace Or in the Middle East Or uh, some of the other places around the world We'd probably hear bombs going off And missiles dropping And Machine gun fire and whatever. And some of our brethren in the southern islands there in, in the Philippines, reading one of the emails from one of our ministers there, he said, you know, we, had to, we, didn't, we couldn't hold services today because of machine gun fire all through the area. How would you like to grow up as a child in these areas? where you hear sirens going off periodically and you run into a, you know, a cave or you run into a, the basement of a house and you hear <laughs> explosions going off. I remember talking to an older lady that grew up <clears throat> in one of the southern cities there in England during World War II where the Germans were coming over. And she said, every once in a while at night you'd hear these motors and you knew they were German airplanes because they had a certain sound, the way they, the pistons fired and what. Something like that. But she said, it was, was knowledge. Well, here they come again. And said, our parents would run us down to the basement, would feel the ground shaking when these bombs would drop. She said, Fortunately, our home was never hit. Many people in England that lived around London sent their kids to relatives and people up in the Midlands somewhere away from London during those attacks in World War II when the missiles would come in and the bombers would come over. But to grow up in an area like that, or to grow up in the Middle East where people are fighting back and forth. Jesus Christ is coming back to set up a government to bring peace to this earth. Peace to this earth. And we've been called to have a part in that if you want a part in that. If you get ready to play a part in that. And this is what we're here to think about today. Do you want to be there? Are you preparing to be there of the increase of his government and peace? There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice. This is what God is calling us to prepare us to do. This is what we can get ready for if we get serious and we focus on this big picture. Revelation 5.10, you can jot that in your notes. We've been called to become kings and priests, civil and religious leaders in the coming kingdom of God. But we've got to develop the character that God knows that we have before he gives us eternal life. This is why we've been called. This is the incredible opportunity we have. If we can stay focused on that big picture, And not get off in some corner. Well, yeah, but you know, I don't like Winnale. And Mr. Meredith, he's okay. But I've got my reservations about Mr. Ames and all this other stuff that people get on. Uh, We can't do that. We've got to stay focused on this big picture. That Christ is coming back. He's going to set up a kingdom on this earth. And we can be part of it if we're ready. Because if we're not ready, the door is going to be closed and miss out on some incredible opportunities. Number two. Another thing that we can do now is to come out of this world. And that's what the exodus was all about. But, you know, this is a principle that God has used down through history. Abraham was called out of the land of Ur. He had to leave that part of the world. Then the Israelites were called out of Egypt, symbolic of sin. We have been called out of this world. And we don't want to be like Lot's wife. They kept looking back. Oh, but my new curtains! Or, or you know the, the promotion I was just about to have. Or that cute guy. I know he's not in the church, but he's really cute. You know, what is going to be the, the attraction that's going to keep us from coming out of this world? We've got to be willing to do that. But it's a lot easier if we see the big picture. It's going to be a lot easier if we see the big picture. Let's go to John 17. We read this on the night of the Passover, but let's put it in the context of our message this afternoon because Jesus was telling his disciples, look, this is what it's going to involve. John 17 is an instructive prayer. Christ was praying to his Father, but he's also teaching at the same time. John 17, beginning in verse 6. We'll just skip down through the verses. He says, I've manifested your name. I've made clear your name, your plan, your purpose to the men that you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they've kept your word. Verse 9. I pray for them. I don't pray for the world. Now We're told that God loves the world. But he said, look, I'm I'm calling these individuals special now to prepare them for the coming kingdom of God. I want to use them in the coming kingdom of God to teach the rest of mankind. I pray for them. I don't pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and so on. Verses 14, 15, 16, 17. I have given them your word. The world has hated them. The world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as we are not to be of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. When the days of unleavened bread are over, we do go back into the world, back to our jobs, back into this worldly system, but we're not to be part of it in that sense where we're all wrapped up in it. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. You've got to have a certain amount of courage to be different. But if you see the big picture, you want to be part of the kingdom of God, it's going to be easier. It's going to be easier. They are not of the world, for I am not of the world. Down in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, that is the disciples that were there in front of him, but also for those who will believe on me through their word. We read Paul's word this this morning in 1 Corinthians. We're reading John's word this afternoon, and they're describing what the future is going to hold. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, again, as we heard in Dr. Meredith's sermon this morning. Corinth was a big, dirty, bustling uh, city. A lot of with it people were there. And there were also male prostitutes in the temple there it wasn't just all females. So the whole thing was perverted. But in Second Corinthians chapter six, Paul is advising these people. The church in Corinth, verse seventeen, he says, Come out from among them and be separate. Come out, you Christians there in Corinth. Come out of that system and be separate, says the Lord. Touch not what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. I've called you to become part of my family and I want you to come out of this world. One other scripture in Revelation 18 and verse 4, talking about an end time generation. See, this is a theme that runs through the scriptures. Revelation 18 verse 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, talking about this Babylonian system that's going to dominate the world at the end of the age. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. And Mr. Meredith, Dr. Meredith read a scripture this morning in Exodus, talking about the world will know that I am the Lord. When God begins to intervene in history and shake this world, you know, Ezekiel mentions this 60 or 70 times that they shall know when I begin doing things, when I begin intervening, they will know that I am the Lord. That God is a God of love, but he's also a God of righteousness. He's going to end the suffering and put an end to the evil. And it's going to be a pretty traumatic thing for those that are caught up in that. But John is writing here to God's people. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. See, this is the plan. If we know what's coming, we can get ready and prepare for this and avoid being involved. So number two is coming out of this world. Number three, we heard a lot about this today. We need to put our heart in the work of God. You know, some of these songs that you listen to on the radio, where is your heart? (laughs) They tend to be romantic ballads and so on, but where is your heart? Is it in the work of God or is it someplace else? These other places are going to disappear one of these days. You know, the handwriting is on the wall for our society today. But where is your heart? Where are your prayers? Where are your energies focused? A couple of scriptures. John chapter 4, verse 34. And this was the character, this was the makeup of Jesus Christ, our elder brother, our soon coming king. John chapter 4 and verse 34. And somebody had asked Jesus, they said, is anyone who brought him something to eat? He's just going and going and going. And Jesus heard them and he said, my food, my meat, my focus, my, my, my energies are focused, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was a mission-oriented person. He was focused on fulfilling the mission that God had given to him. You know, we've been called to preach the gospel of the coming kingdom of God to this world. That's part of our mission. Matthew, Mark 16:15, 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mark 13, to warn this world about what is coming so that people can be prepared. You know, Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33, we're going to be held accountable for delivering that warning. And for preaching that gospel It says if things come Upon this world and people die and they've Not been warned you're going to be Held accountable But if you warn them and people change Then they're going to be rewarded And so will you If you fulfill your mission God didn't call us To arrange a whole lot of socials and just kind of Be uh, your lovey-dovey And nice to everybody And go along with everything He said you've got a job to do You've got a job to do. Yes, show love as you do it, but you've got a job to do. You've got a mission. You've got something that needs to be done. Matthew 10, verse 6, it says, We're to carry our message to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We need to know who these people are, where they are, and why that message has to be delivered. Brethren, we're living in a nation that God has blessed incredibly if you had a chance to travel around the world different places, you see that. That's why so many people want to come here. Because they see what's here and they see what they don't have. Why have we been blessed? Because of the promises that God made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his sons. That hasn't happened to other parts of the world. But with those blessings comes a responsibility that we are to be lights and examples to the world. And we've not been. I mean, it's the Americans that are pushing this same-sex marriage around the world. And the current administration is tying foreign aid to doing those. If you accept it, then you can accept our money. If you don't accept that, then we're not going to give aid to you people. We're we're strong-arming people to take perverted values this is not what god intended and there's going to be a consequence when god's servant people do the wrong things now we can come out of that or we can kind of float down the river like nothing's going to happen and we can go over the go through the rapids and over the waterfalls with everybody else if we don't pay attention to the plan We also have some warnings. I would encourage you to read through these things. In Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22, it talks about Laodiceans that are lukewarm, laid back. Yeah, they have the truth, but they're really not doing much with it. And Jesus is knocking on the door. When you knock on that door over there, you're outside the door. You're not inside where the people are. We're warned. With that. In Matthew 13, the parable of the sower talks about the cares of this world are going to pull people away from the truth. You're so involved with your job, you're so involved with this or that. Brethren, we've got to stay focused on the big picture. We've got to do the job that God has given us to do. Again, my question would be where is your heart? What are your priorities? Where is your focus? Jesus said, my focus, my meat, my, 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 the, the focus of my life is to do the work of God and to finish that work. And we've got to be focused in the same direction. Number four, something else that we can do today, is to grow and overcome. And we talk a lot about this, but let's be specific about it. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. To each one of the seven churches, it says, those who overcome, not those who try, but to those who overcome are going to receive a reward, crowns to reign over the nations of this earth, be part of God's family, to rule with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. To get those crowns, we've got to get rid of the leaven that's in our lives. And to put in the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We've got to overcome attitudes that are divisive, that are wrong, that are vain. We've got to overcome behaviors. I had a guy ask me one time, he had a problem with smoking. He said, you think this is going to keep me out of the kingdom of God? It probably will, if we don't overcome those things. Do you think a little adultery is going to keep me out of the kingdom of God? You better believe it will. I mean, you can substitute all kinds of things there. These are things we've got to overcome and put behind us. We've got to grow and overcome. See, this is part of the plan. That God is calling a small group of people to prepare them. To go through officer-candidate school, so to speak. To be ready when Christ returns. In 2 Peter 3, verse 18, maybe just jot that down. We're told to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We've got to be growing. We can't just tread water. Now, if you're just treading water, you'll eventually get behind Unless you're growing and swimming In many cases, swimming upstream We can't be floating downstream We've got to put forth the effort to do that How do we grow? Let's turn to uh, 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14, 15, 16 These are admonitions that Paul was giving to Timothy As a young evangelist But we can all Kind of look over Timothy's shoulder and learn, because we've all been called to become kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God, to become teachers in the kingdom of God. In verse fourteen of chapter two, Second Timothy, Paul says, "Remind them." He's talking about reminding your congregations of these things, charging them before the Lord not to be not to strive about words to no profit and to the ruin of the hearers. Don't get involved with Doctrinal issues that go around and around and around and to make that your big thing because it only divides people Be diligent to present yourself approved unto God the old King James says study To present yourselves approved unto God a worker who does not be, need to be ashamed rightly dividing The word of truth able to explain the scriptures Here's what it means. Here's how you apply it Here's how it fits together. That doesn't come just by sleeping on the Bible. When I was in college, I tried sleep learning. I'd turn a tape recorder on with the lecture, and I'd go to sleep. I'd wake up the next morning, didn't remember a thing. (laughs) Because you don't learn whenever you're sleeping. And some people think that you can. I never could. Had to stay awake. Had to go over my notes had to read my assignments. You know, we've got to put the effort in. I also had an interesting discussion one time with a person. He said, I don't bother with Bible study. When I become a spirit being, God's just going to fix my brain and I'll know everything. I said, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't do it that way? Then you've wasted a lot of time. You've wasted a lot of time. I turn back to Ezekiel quickly. Uh, No, Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. We find what Ezra did, a little bit about who he was, and how he prepared for the job that God had given him. Ezra was among the captives in Babylon, and he was told by God he was going to go up and help restore right religion. In Jerusalem, as these captives came out of a 70 year captivity in Babylon. But a little bit about Ezra, the man that God chose to do this job. In verse 6, it says, This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. You know, you don't become a skilled scribe, again, sleeping on the Bible. You study. You study. You read, you prepare, and for those of you that are in some of the, the um, uh, some of the professions, if you 're a plumber, you just don 't go out and buy some tools in a truck and then you know, get a job you 've got to take exams, you 've got to pass tests, you 've got to be given uh, various certificates you 've got to be approved. The same thing with, with electricians. If you don't have any training, you're going to plug the wrong things into the wrong things. There going to be explosions and sparks and all kinds of things. You've got to know what you're doing. Ezra was a skilled scribe. He studied the Scriptures. And God chose a person like that to do a job. To literally set a nation on a foundation that was solid. Down in verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the statutes and the ordinances in Israel. God chose a person that had a focus, that he saw the big picture. He saw what he was going to do and he got ready to do it. You know, we've been called to do a job. We can get ready and do it or we cannot be ready. You know, if Christ returns and He comes up to you and says, You know, I really wanted you to be involved in this nation over here to put them on a right track and get them focused. Why weren't you ready? Well, the World Series was on. <laughs> or the NBA Championships was on. I didn't have time. To, I, can you picture yourself saying that? The Miss America pageant was on. <laughs> whatever it's going to be we've been called our mind has been open to understand a plan we can be ready or we can not be ready choice is yours choice is mine we can use the lessons of the days of unleavened bread to get ready to get rid of the baggage that we don't need our opportunity now is to grow and overcome You know, we've got booklets that you can study Maybe pick out one per month, go through it, mark your Bible, be able to explain those things. We've got a Bible study course that's on the Internet. When was the last time you went through that? Have you ever gone through it? The material is there. It's up to you. We've got courses with Living University that you can take now and prepare. We've got spokesman's clubs that you can be involved with. All kinds of things that are there. How many of you are taking notes? If you're not, I would really encourage you get a notebook and take your notes in order and then label them, the titles of the sermons. Because the time may come when you may be given the opportunity to be up here in front of a group and explain. You know, I came into the church over forty years ago, and one of our little games that we would play would be to name the fifteen evangelists that we had. That are no longer here, (laughs) except for Mr. Meredith. I mean, we played games like that. And if somebody said, "Well, you know, in in 30, 40 years, you're going to be up there as an evangelist, (laughs) preaching the gospel," I said, "You're kidding." But we need people. We need people that are capable of explaining the truth. And when Christ returns, he's going to need a staff of individuals that he can say, I know your character. I've watched you. Here's your assignment. It'll be a a nation over here, an area over there where God has seen our fruits. He said, I can trust you. I know you can. I know what your skills are. I've seen you prepare. I know you're ready because I've worked with you. So we can grow and prepare. One other scripture along this line in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. See, the plan is here. It's outlined in scripture. And it's up to us to decide, I'm going to grab a hold of that. Or, we can decide, look, I've got other things to do, and I'm really not sure about all this stuff, and when everything comes to pass, then you may be there. As the Bible says, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth when Christ returns and all these things happen. When do you gnash your teeth? When you knew something was coming, you didn't get ready, and when it happens, you think, oh, I could have been there. I could have been there. I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't believe it. Where's your heart? Where do you want to be when Jesus Christ returns? Will you be ready? Will you be ready? In Ephesians chapter 5, several verses here. <clears throat> Starting in verse 8, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was another interesting city in the ancient world. It had one of the biggest temples uh, in the Mediterranean. The temple was almost as big as a football field. It was huge. And people came there because of all the stuff that was going on there. A lot of uh, magic and other things were going on. But after Paul's ministry, (laughs) temples closed. People were throwing away their idols and burning the magic books. I mean, Paul's ministry there had an incredible impact on that area. But notice what Paul is saying to these people. Verse 8, he says, you were once in darkness. This used to be you, but now you're in the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You've been called out of this world. Your mind has been open. So you need to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Verse 10, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, come out of them. He says, it's shameful what they do. In verse 14, therefore, he says, and he's quoting Isaiah, awake, you who sleep. Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24 and other places, wake up, watch, you stay alert. Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly. In other words, live carefully, have a plan. Have a purpose. You organize your life towards being in the kingdom of God. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. <laughs> Don't be foolish and ignore the plan of God that He has opened your mind to understand, but as wise, redeeming the time, making the most of the opportunities that you have. Take advantage of the materials that we prepared. Take advantage of the peace and the safety that we have right now, because we probably won't have that forever. Things are probably going to get very difficult in the years ahead. Redeeming the time, making the most of the opportunities that you have, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand the will or what the will of the Lord is. Understand the plan of God. Grab a hold of that. Go for it. You were called to become teachers in the coming kingdom of God. Isaiah 30 verses 20 and 21. It says there people will see their teachers and their teachers will say, this is the way. This is the truth. This is the direction you really need to go. We're told in Isaiah 2 verses 2 to 4 that the law of God is going to go forth from Jerusalem. And if you understand that, you're going to have an opportunity to carry forth that truth. When we were living in Boston, I had a chance to give a lecture at Harvard University. I'd like to go back there someday (laughs) and talk with the faculty. Say, this was the truth that you lost, that you missed out on, that you didn't have. It's going to be exciting to work with people. You may have the opportunity to work with some of the people that you have worked with in the past. To explain to them and share with them what God has opened your mind to understand. And to do that humbly but effectively. In First Timothy chapter three, the qualifications of a leader, an elder. One of the qualifications is to be able to teach. To be able to teach, able to explain. You know, you can't explain what you don't believe. You can't explain what you've never studied. You can't explain what you don't know. We have an opportunity now to prepare to do these things. In Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 2, it talks about the older men and the older women explaining to younger women and to younger men the way of life that really does work because the world offers all kinds of ideas. You want to get ahead in life? depends on who you know, who you butter up, who you buy off. Well that's one way to get ahead. But is this fellow that is uh, was in the paper today, was it Jonathan Edwards? who was a senator here? Uh, he got in trouble, had a girlfriend and he apparently is going through a series of repentance now. he says, "I can't believe what I did. I can't believe what I did when I was in that position, running for president. No, Satan is active. He will go after anybody that he can. We've got to be prepared and ready for what's coming. Let's move on. Number five. How can we prepare for the return of Jesus Christ? Number five, are you a team player? Are you a team player? Can you work effectively with other people, or are you a lone wolf that does his own thing, that guards your turf, your position, your ideas? It's got to be my way or the highway, and you, know, you can be on my team. We've been called to become part of the family of God, his sons, his daughters. We've got to become team players where we can work together. God, I think, has a sense of humor. He's calling us out of every different walk of life. If we'd go through everybody's name and where you came from, what you were doing, a lot of you would have nothing in common with each other (laughs) except the truth of God. And God is calling us out of every walk of life. But He is the one that's putting us on the team. You didn't have a choice that so and so would be called. They were called, you were called. So if we sit around judging it, well, I wouldn't have called Him, or I wouldn't have called her, you didn't do the calling. (laughs) God does the calling, and He puts us on the team. And it's not for us to be judging or criticizing other people on the team. Your team players work together. They learn to respect each other, they learn to trust each other and not undermine each other. You know, what if we had a chance to listen into a discussion between God and Jesus Christ? God said, Well, I've chosen Joe. And then Jesus leans over to somebody else and says, I wouldn't have chosen him. that's hard to picture because we read in John 17 that, that God and Jesus are one they're, they're on the same wavelength we've got to learn to become team players we learn this in the family we learn this uh, on our jobs you know, in Ephesians 5 it says husbands love your wives wives respect and adapt to your husbands and then we have to adapt to each other and it says kids honor your parents Respect your parents, listen to them But then it also says to the parents Don't frustrate your children Don't come down so hard on them that they get discouraged See, it's a two-way street Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 Where Peter is advising leaders in the church 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 2 through 9 and you notice what he's talking about here. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. There we go. It says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion. In other words, they made me be a minister. So i got to be up here. I don't want to be here. And since I don't want to be here, don't give me a bad time. It could also mean don't compel people. You're in my church. You'll do as I say. We shouldn't function that way. Shepherd a flock of God who's among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. I'm willing to serve wherever I'm asked to serve. What I've noticed in the ministry over the last 10, 15 years, not not so much in our church, but some of the other organizations, people are asked to move. (laughs) Responses, I'm not moving I'm not moving get somebody else as I talked with another young couple recently I said would you consider going such and such a place I said think it over let me know and we talked a week or two later and he said we've thought about it prayed about it and when we signed on to be a minister we realized that we would be asked to go somewhere and we're ready to go it was a beautiful attitude But I've seen in the last 10 or 15 years, that attitude isn't around a whole lot. It's kind of like, I'm here, I'm staying. You want somebody else to go there? Get somebody else. I'm not going. It's a very different attitude. What Peter is saying here is to serve willingly, not for dishonest gain, not for personal aggrandizement. I've always wanted to be a minister, stand up here, tell everybody what to do. Now I'm here, so listen, you guys. See all the stripes on my shoulders? Paul is saying that's not the way to go. Peter's saying that. Nor is being lords over those entrusted to you. You're not up there to boss people around. You project this beyond just the ministers. If we want to become kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God, teachers in tomorrow's world, these, this is the character we're going to need, need to have. Nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Examples of humility, examples of patience, examples of understanding, examples of faithfulness, not preaching your own ideas. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown. Here comes the reward, but it comes after these qualities are developed that will not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, younger ministers, younger servants, younger members, submit yourselves to your elders. In other words, respect those that are older, been around longer. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another. I mean, I got to be submissive to you guys. (laughs) Yeah, we need to work together as team members being clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time we've been called to become team players to work together if you're having difficulties with somebody You might go back and read Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, where it says pride comes uh, with contention or contention comes as a result of pride. Well, I've got my own opinions. And if other person says, well, I've got my own opinions. And it's hard to work together in situations like that. Proverbs 13, verse 1 says a soft answer turns away wrath. Instead of coming back at somebody with two barrels and they only shot one barrel at you. <laughs> it says a soft answer turns away wrath. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Let's let's do it. Go, we got a little bit of time here. In Acts chapter fifteen. Notice the confrontation that erupted between Paul and Barnabas. There were two guys in the ministry, two men in the ministry. They had different opinions. And you might think, well, they, they, they shouldn't be arguing back and forth. But they did. And it's recorded in Scripture. It's one of the things that the Bible differs from many other religious books. It, it records the good points and all the warts of the people that played leading roles. In Acts chapter 15, is after the conference in Jerusalem... Beginning in verse 36 it says then after some days Paul and Barnabas Paul said to Barnabas let's go back and visit the brethren in every city Where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing Now notice the words at least that the King James has used Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark He says Paul I think we need to take Mark with us But notice Paul's comment he says, Well uh, Paul that's, that's understandable we, we can probably do that no, it says Paul insisted that they should not take uh, Mark with them. So Barnabas was determined and Paul was insisting. In verse 39, it says the contention became so great, so sharp that they parted from one another. All right, you go that way and I'm going to go this way. It's going to be interesting to meet Paul one of these days. If you also read in Galatians 2.11, it says he confronted Peter to his face. You're wrong, Peter. They were human beings. They were human beings. Now, don't use that as an excuse. (laughs) If you like to confront people and tell them they're wrong. (laughs) Or if you disagree, we're going to do it my way. I don't care what you think. You know, that's, that's not the way God and Jesus Christ work together. And we've got to learn to work together, you know, within our families, on our jobs. God has called us to learn to work together as a team. You know, as young people, if you're respectful to your parents, they will not be able to do too much for you. They will not be able to do too much for you if you say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, and mean it. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) We had some neighbors whenever I was growing up as a kid. They lived across the street from us. He was an ex-Marine, big guy. And he had a little boy. He wanted him to be tough. So he nicknamed him Hambone. Hambone, come here. So they were over, they used to come over and sit on our front porch and look at their house. And we'd walk out the front door and hear these people sitting there looking at their house across the street. (laughs) But he told his little boy one night, he said, Ham Bone, why don't you go home and do something? And this little kid started walking down the driveway. That big fat man's telling me what to do again. (laughs) Wasn't real respectful. Unfortunately, the guy had a heart attack and died before his child got too old. But the point I want to make here is that if if we're respectful to our parents, we're respectful to those that work over us, and if we're respectful to those who work for us, things are going to function that much better. They'll function that much better. How are you doing as a team player? Some players get kicked off of teams because they can't get along with the other players on the team. Some people that lack real strong skills may be put on a team because they pull the team together. They have a skill that way. Are you a team player? That's number five. Number six, we're about done. We're to become examples as servant leaders. Examples as servant leaders. If people see us serving and leading in an exemplary way. That they can notice and that they can follow. Then God can use you. Then God can use you in a very powerful way. You know, it's not uncommon for people to come into the church that have some abilities. And they look around and they conclude very quickly, well, God certainly has called the weak of the world. (laughs) Because I see them all around me. But I'm here to serve. Chances are it's going to be difficult to use a person like that. Because they're not humble. They recognize their own abilities, but there are other qualities that have to go along with that. Notice in Matthew chapter 20 Again, this is part of the plan That Jesus knew And he was outlining for his disciples Matthew 20 Beginning in verse 26 Actually probably begin a little bit earlier Verse 25 Jesus called Them to himself Called his disciples You know that the rulers of the Gentiles Not only the Gentiles, Israelites do the same thing Lorded over them that is, the people under them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, it's not wrong to desire to serve and grow and and participate, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. We've been called to become servants Servant leaders Leaders lead and servants serve Serving could involve setting up chairs Taking down chairs, cleaning the tables over there A leader will also take time to stand back and say You know, we probably ought to think about doing it a little bit different way Because it will go better As opposed to just getting in there and, and doing everything A leader needs to take a longer-range view from time to time. It doesn't hurt to get your hands dirty serving. I know when I was first ordained as an elder, we were were taking down chairs after a social. And I just jumped in and started taking down chairs. And one of the guys said there, get out of here, you're taking my job. (laughs) In other words, as a minister, I wasn't supposed to do that. You know, I watched Mr. Armstrong from time to time walking across the campus in Pasadena. He'd pick up a piece of gum wrapper that was on the the, uh, the the ground because he felt responsible for the campus. It wasn't beneath him to do something like that. You know, if we can serve humbly but serve effectively, if we can notice where needs need to be taken care of and just do it without even being asked sometimes... But we've been called to become servants as well as leaders. First Timothy four verse twelve talks about an example and how important that example is, regardless of whether we're in a ministry, whether we're members, uh, whether we're working with people inside or outside the church. Example is extremely important. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter four, verse twelve. Again, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, Here's the advice I want you to pass on to the congregation. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in the jokes that you tell or that you don't tell, the things that you talk about or that you don't talk about, in conduct, the way you treat other people, the way you dress. You is it something that other people can emulate and say, well, look, look, you follow their example in love, which is an unselfish, outgoing concern. Do you act with love towards people in spirit? Do you have a divisive spirit? Do you have a criticizing spirit? Do you have a spirit that promotes unity? These are things we can think about as we move on beyond the days of unleavened bread. Be an example in faith. Do you keep the Sabbath? Or do you compromise it? Have you proven the truth? Or do you kind of slide around it? An example in faith and an example in purity. What does that mean? An example in purity. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And these are things we can ask ourselves. Is this where my focus is? Is this where my mind goes? Or does it go someplace else? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul says here, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, something's noble as, as high standards, whatever things are just, they're right. They're good. Whatever things are pure, not rumors, not negative things, but pure things. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue of any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think on these things. As opposed to, I want to hear a juicy rumor. Did you hear this? Did you hear that? I didn't like that decision. We need to focus on what's good. And I'm not talking about being naive. I'm talking about not letting our minds go in an area that's that's very critical and negative. But to be very positive. You can lead with an example that way. If this is our focus, if we're determining to go in that direction. We've been called to be examples. Our examples are extremely important. And finally... Point number seven, how can we be ready for the return of Jesus Christ? We need to be preparing for trials. We need to get ready for trials that are going to come, that have to do with what you believe, have to do with uh, the church that you're part of. Now, Jesus said as much in John chapter 15, and he said this the night before he was crucified. Now, his trial was coming, but the trials of the disciples would continue on beyond that particular evening. John 15, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus was talking with his disciples the night before he was crucified. Beginning verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours also. In verse uh, In chapter 16, just moving on, verses 2 to 4. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming when whoever kills you will think that he offers God a sacrifice. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I've told you beforehand that when it comes you may remember that I told you. In other words, God you know, Jesus knew the plan. He said, this is what's going to happen. You know, so get ready for that. Down in verse 32, 33 of chapter 16. Indeed, the hour is coming and now has come that you will be scattered. You will be scattered. Each to his own and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And the implication is we too can overcome the world. If we stay close to God, we look to Him as our protector, we act wisely, but we also exercise faith. In Matthew 24, Jesus touched on the same thing. Let's look at that quickly. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus was asked, what's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In verse 9, he says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated of all nations for my name's sake, for what you're preaching and what you're teaching. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. He said, this is what's going to come down the road. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many people. In verse 13, though, it says, but he who endures to the end, he or she who endures to the end. They've got this big picture in mind. They know what's coming down the road. They know that we've got to be examples and hang on to the truth and endure through the trials and tribulations. You know, what if Jesus Christ, as he was being arrested, said, God, I can't do this. I know what the plan was, but I, I, I can't do this. This is too tough. This hurts. And yet he came to give his life for all mankind to become our savior. He endured to the end, finished his job. And he's going to be in the kingdom of God as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If we want to be there, we're going to have to hang tough, too. We're going to have to have a goal that we're focused on, that we're not going to compromise. We can overcome the world if we remember the plan and if we stay close to God and we strive to get ready. let look at one final scripture in Luke chapter 21. One final scripture in Luke chapter 21. It's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> If you begin in verse 29, Jesus is using the analogy of a fig tree. He says, when you see the fig tree and the blossoms coming out, you know the summer is coming. And we've had the blossoms coming out here and the pollen is out and we're rubbing our eyes and our noses are running. And we know summer's coming and eventually the pollen will disappear once the leaves come the whole way out. But Jesus said, when you see these things, You know that the end is near. Verse 31. So also when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. The time of Christ's return is near. Assuredly, I say, this generation will in no means pass away. And the generations that are sitting here may very well see the end of this age. Things appear to be moving in that direction. Then Jesus says in verse 31, or verse 34, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. In other words, don't slip back into the ways of the world. You've been called out of that. Otherwise, this day is going to come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. They get back into this, they get bogged down in it, they don't want to come out of it. Then he says, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. You know, we'll be counted worthy to escape if we're ready for the return of Jesus Christ. If we've learned the lessons of the Days of Unleavened Bread to identify and put out of our lives the sins, the weaknesses, if we overcome those things... And we put into our lives the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We begin developing the character of Jesus Christ, the mind of God, so that we can reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. You know, we've been called to come out of this world. The days of unleavened bread picture that. We're told in Matthew 24 that before Jesus Christ returns, there's going to be a sound of a great trumpet the sound of a great trumpet. And when the world hears that sound, in essence, Jesus Christ is saying, ready or not, here I come. Will you be ready? Brethren, let's take the lessons of the Days of Unleavened Bread. Let's be ready when Jesus Christ returns so that we can be in the coming kingdom of God with him.